So we draw from those people around us and then put it through our own filter and our own concerns for life as wanting to be helpful humans on a planet that is in all kinds of strife. Our hope is to bring ultimately some love and joy and options for being generative. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Creative Process. I'm your host, Alicia Peterson-Baskell, and thank you so much for being here. I'm curious, have you been seeing theater or dance performances lately? Have you been exploring galleries or going to music shows? I'm seeing opportunities pop up all over the place right now for me to go see performances or explore art, and it's very exciting. It really feels like springtime for the arts, <laughs> especially after being in hibernation for so long. For example, Carolyn Mara, who was our first guest on this podcast in our inaugural episode, she's showing her work in Barcelona this week in this beautiful gallery. And it's just so fun to follow along with her on Instagram. If you're not already following along, go check her out at Carolyn underscore Mara and listen to that episode if you need a little background, but that one's a fun one. Also, one great thing going on here in San Diego is the La Jolla Playhouses Without Walls Festival, which is happening starting today over at Liberty Station. There's so much going on over there, including a giant puppet procession created by our guests on the podcast today. Bridget Roundtree and Ian Gunn, aka Animal Cracker Conspiracy. You have the opportunity this weekend on April 23rd and 24th, that's Saturday and Sunday, to see their latest creation, Transmythical, as part of the WOW Festival. You'll hear Ian and Bridget talk about it. They were kind of in the middle of it when we had our conversation, but I wanted to let you know about it so that you can get yourself there. It's at Liberty Station, it's free, and I'll put the link in the show notes for you to reserve your spots. I'm really excited to introduce you to Bridget and Ian. They were, in fact, my first guests on this podcast, the first people I interviewed, but we had multiple technology difficulties that day, and they were so gracious to allow me a second interview, and I'm so glad they did. Their company, Animal Cracker Conspiracy, is a multidisciplinary performance company creating visual theater performances for adult audiences zany and thoughtful puppet shows for families, as well as touring stilt dancing performances, giant puppets, and public spectacle for the world. Animal Cracker Conspiracy tends to defy easy categorization. Bridget and Ian's shared interest and exploration of where fine art, puppetry, performance art, physical theater, and mixed media intersect is a continued source of inspiration for their work. They aim to create performances that can radically decenter expectations, open new avenues of thought and invoke the uncanny. They've participated in both national and international artist residencies, conferences and workshops and have been supported by numerous grants and foundations. Please welcome Bridget Roundtree and Ian Gunn of Animal Cracker Conspiracy. Welcome Ian and Bridget. It's so good to have you guys here. Thank you so Alicia. much. And I love that you're you're in your studio, you're in the middle of stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy schedule to talk with me. And I know you guys come from different backgrounds and you bring all of that with you to your current work, but I'd like to hear about your ind independent work and then also how you came together to work together. 
I come from a visual arts background. I was actually a literature major in college and I was really wanted to be a creative writer for a living. And so that was kind of my main goal. And I um, was having a really hard time at creator, in creative writing classes at UC Berkeley is really competitive. And even trying to just get into a creative writing class was competitive. And I made it in by meeting with a professor and kind of like clawing my way in and begging them to take me. But then I had really terrible critiques and I was dating this guy at the time. And he said, oh, well, you should go and meet my art teachers in Italy and they'll help you think more visually. And I was like, that would be great. If I think more visually, I'm going to be a better writer. And so I did. I went to Florence for a year abroad and I met two radical teaching artists named Rose and Claire. And they're South African women teaching in Florence at the time. They fled apartheid during the 80s and relocated in Florence and started after about 20 years of teaching there. They started pulling people from the International University to study with them privately in Tuscany during the summers so they could teach curriculums and their philosophy of work that they really believed in. I happened to be one of those people who, and it had nothing to do with talent. It was really just about if they thought their philosophy and the way that you worked in your personality and inclinations would work well together. Mm -hmm. And so I have been a part of that international group of artists, primarily women for about 20 years. Oh, wow. um, and so that was really my big influence in moving from literature and creative writing, which I use all the time, actually, in hindsight, mm -hmm. with grant writing and scripts and all of that. It's hugely helpful. I'm really grateful for that degree. But I kind of at that point started to pivot towards visual art, mixed media, sculpture, drawing and painting and that type of situation. So that's my background and how I... I'll let Ian say his background before we tell the grand story of how yeah, we good. came together. <laughs> or the small story. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to be as succinct as Bridget. I was kind of artistic leaning my whole life. I remember reading Richard Scarry's Busy Busy World as a child mm -hmm. and then drawing these books for my mom devoted to the character Spudbug. And she had many of these like folded full scap little things stapled <laughs> together where I would drew spud bug again and again with like no text. I think it was probably like three or four. My dad was a one had wanted to be a sign painter and ended up being like a pretty high powered executive uh, oh, no. working at, you know, as a civil servant in British Columbia. And so I grew up pretty well supported and loved by my family on a mountainside and was just, you know, surrounded by nature by Northwest Coast Native art, museums, and things like that. But it was still somewhat sheltered. We didn't really see any theater or opera except at the local high school where I did some set painting and kind of aspired to be an actor, but was very shy and just was really kind of like inspired by it. I tried to get a science degree, but after one year, do like entry level, dentistry <laughs> preparatory uh, classes. I was like, forget this. And oh I gosh, switched to yeah. fine arts. Then I, I felt much freer as a human being. So I was studying printmaking, photography and painting and mixing and matching. Even then, like I was drawing for my own photographs, painting for my own photographs, starting this hybridity even then. What really kind of blew it open because I, I thought I could be a painter and a poet at the same time. So I was doing text-based work large-scale paintings in oil and acrylic, some aerosol stuff, 
And then I went to India. In India, when I was there in the early 90s, it was before mass printmaking capabilities had reached that part of the world. And so they were doing like 60 foot billboards of Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator hand painted by all these you know painters crawling over the scaffolding. And I just blew my mind and I just started to fall in love with large scale work. And after I came back from India, there were a lot of public arts groups in Vancouver. There was also a really cool contemporary dance scene there that I started to be drawn into. One of my best friends from kindergarten took a dance degree at Simon Fraser University, the rival school, but I always went and saw her performances. And so painting and dance started to merge and it was kind of the rise of the sort of underground rave in Vancouver. And our favorite spot to go dance all night was our friend's theater loft slash small theater called The Source. And so I was showing paintings at all night dance parties uh, down an alley, a very famous, infamous alley on Vancouver's Lower East Side called Blood Alley. There was Buto on Wreck Beach, which is a nude beach in Vancouver. And Vancouver had like a really cool bohemian side. It's obviously connected to the Pacific Rim in, in a much more profound way in some ways in San Diego. There's a huge Indian population and as well as Japanese and Chinese culture represented there. So all of that stuff had an influence on me as well as the native art from the uh, West Coast. And so I really got into like graphic motifs and stenciling and influenced by graffiti and dance and all of this. And I feel like a lot of that's come to fruition now. I also worked in the Lower East Side in an after school program, doing like art programs after school for kids who didn't have a home to go home to exactly then, or it was safer for them to be in a, in a city program. And so pedagogy and sharing art and doing art mm -hmm. with kids really informed that too. And that's actually what led to me becoming a stilt walker. One of the kids in our program took a class and became part of a choir on stilts and performed for a solstice celebration at the local park. And I saw the difference between her performing and her kind of after school, not feeling very much that she fit in. She was an extremely intelligent kid. But when I saw her on stilts in a dress with makeup on, like singing in this group of people, I was just totally blown away. And that, that kind of planted a seed in me that has sort of inspired me ever since. It's so great to hear about your backgrounds because I've seen your work and I've heard you talk about your work and you use the word hybrid a lot. And I can see that in the performances that I've seen, but it sounds like it's just so integrated into who both of you are to be so multiple. It all can come in. Everything can come in. Nothing is, is not a part of it. And I love that. Now, tell me about Animal Cracker Conspiracy, how you guys started working together. Animal Cracker Conspiracy, I guess I'm, we met at the old Children's Art Museum in San Diego before it became the new Children's Art Museum. I met Ian there and he had a sear wheel with him, right? Was German it? wheel. Oh, the German wheel. Roan red. That's right. What, uh, is, what is the German wheel? Tell me about the German wheel. It's a gymnastic wheel. device that was developed in Germany as a, like a health kick in the 20s. <laughs> 
It's a circular ladder. So they invented all these so like, tricks. You can vault on it. You can do Leonardo's oh, Vitruvian right. Man. Wheels, yeah. Sear wheel is a new modern invention modern that's way. a single hoop that you can roll around in and hold on to. And it's much it's more a circus versatile. apparatus. Basically. Okay, I can picture it. I can a picture large, it now. Yeah, it's a large scale circus apparatus that you can basically roll around it. There's and they can do amazing things. I mean, you can do amazing things in it. And so I was there and I asked my friend to introduce me to Ian. I saw him walk in and I was, I thought he looked interesting. And so <laughs> he did, he's like, oh, you don't know Ian Gunn? <laughs> oh, I don't know him. So he introduced me to him and then we became fast friends. Well, we kept in touch. We became actually like email pen pals. Yeah. And Brid Bridget went to South yeah, Africa right. and she was down there and she was emailing me about this, this artist residency with Rose and Claire. They would also take us to South Africa and we would do residencies there and work with other professional artists there. And it was amazing. And I emailed him from there telling him about these residencies, which he was really interested in. Well, I was just interested in the whole milieu and the idea of what was going on in Johannesburg. And Bridget and I have a favorite artist in common, William Kentridge, who's from south africa as well and is actually yeah. very well has a relationship with rose and claire he's known them they for most of his life together, yeah you know and that's something that i think a, a lot of artists would really like to have because i don't live in my hometown i've really lost a lot of the relationships with the artists that i would went to school with shared studios mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. i mean some of us are just reconnecting now this idea that these artists from south africa had stayed connected for so long and collaborated together and this other idea that William Kentridge had also collaborated with the Handspring Puppet Company. It was a big overlap for us of fine arts and puppetry. They were doing the hybridity that we were excited mm. by. Yeah, it was all like meshing. Of course it has for time immemorial. But so we felt really connected in these different art forms that we were doing and what we cared about between performance and puppetry and visual art and writing and Mm -hmm. uh, so when I got back from that residency, we went on a date and then we made some cardboard sculptures together and yeah, <laughs> we, made, we made cardboard sculpture, we talked about art, and then we've basically been inseparable ever since. From the very moment we were together, we made things. It was, it was just a part of our relationship, which is really, you know, great and generative to have a relationship that is more than just the interpersonal relationship. Mm -hmm. Of course, it is, it is always those things. But to also have a partner that you're always making things, I thrive on that. It could have gone wrong. I, I taught Bridget mm -hmm. to stilt walk and she took to it immediately. So that was fantastic. And uh, yeah. I also found out that she'd been a competitive gymnast yeah. her whole life. Oh, wow. I to dance. And so we had that yeah, connection. dance and gymnastics. As a kid, I was super physical. And so it wasn't hard for me to transition into circus at all because I had had that background anyway. I mean, it wasn't circus per se, but it was gymnastics and dance. And so that it was great. And I did theater in high school. And so we just started performing together. Yeah, she, and nice. she's a great puppeteer. So basically the first house we lived in together long-term, we had a circus rig in the backyard. Yeah, And we ended up starting um, not only a performance group with some friends, that was Technomania Circus. That was a kind of a standard Burning Man inspired backyard, backyard circus, circus that we, nice. we yeah. did many, many, many performance with and had a great time. Performing. And this is all still pre-Animal Cracker, like 
calling yeah. yourselves Animal Cracker yeah. Conspiracy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We actually yeah. performed. Yeah. We did perform some stuff. Animal Cracker Conspiracy came shortly after our circus sideshow uh, cabaret troupe, Zerk Ubu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We broke off from Technomania, created our own circus with a group of friends, called it Zerk Ubu, first started performing that. And I'd say within, but this is about 2006 now. Okay. We created Animal Cracker Conspiracy to Showcase have our puppet puppets stuff. within the circus because we really mm-hmm. want to just, you know, have Animal Cracker be the puppet side of that circus because that, we were really interested in bringing large scale puppets, all different kinds of puppetry to that group. And so we formed Animal Cracker Conspiracy. And then shortly, I'd say about a year and a half or maybe two years after that, we Zerkubu disbanded. There three. was about twelve. It lasts about three, three years. years. Twelve people, and we disbanded. So we were really serious. We're like, okay, we're going to split. We're focusing on Animal Cracker Conspiracy. I want to focus on my visual art, art also, and yeah. we're running with that ever since. Yeah. So you basically handle those two ideas. I mean, I know there's so many more ideas within all of it, but you're moving forward as Animal Cracker Conspiracy and as an independent as independent artists, both of you. Yeah, I mean, more Bridget, more more having an independent art thing. I'm working on some stuff on the side, but basically all my energy is going towards Animal Cracker Conspiracy right now. You know, it's both of our output that makes it happen, but sometimes a lot of the design and push comes from my desire to see more giant puppets in the world. (laughs) That's wonderful. Like somebody's got to have that vision and that desire. That's so great. I mean, we're kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we got married in 2015 for our honeymoon, <laughs> we went on an unpaid performance trip because our friends had lost all their NEA funding to Brooklyn to perform in excruciating heat inside an <gasps> unair conditioned warehouse <laughs> in Dumbo for a toy theater festival. Yeah. And, oh, wow. And we slept in our... Um, elder <laughs> puppeteer Chinese cir- Beijing circus yes. performance art friends in Queens in their one of the first co-op residencies in, or residential apartments in Queens <laughs> in July it was totally you are, yeah you were dedicated yeah it was but dedicated. it was amazing I mean yeah. we just yeah. We loved, it. Have to we loved it gonna, so much. Oh, yeah. You got to be pretty dedicated. To and we it, had made right? everything <laughs> out of cardboard so it would be light so we could pack it in two suitcases Fly, and drag yeah. it out there. It was so hot in that building that I was sweating as we were performing because we were like part of a showcase. Like it was all toy theater, 24 hours of toy theater, basically. They did mm-hmm. two weekends in a row and couldn't pay anybody so everybody was like the show must go on we're going yeah. they just took it upon themselves and we all went out and did this event for great small works and i was sweating so bad as we were putting stuff away that i was like doing this because i didn't want to like ruin the Dripping artwork that was all paper puppets. and like hand drawn on oh. artwork. <laughs> oh my gosh crazy oh that's amazing now, one of the first pieces that I know from Animal Cracker Conspiracy is The Collector. I want to hear a little bit about how you got into that specific piece, because I, I've heard a lot of amazing things about it. I know that that's maybe where some of the work that came after started. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into doing that particular type of puppetry and that piece in particular. Well, my... Dad was a debt collector for 30 years. 
So the storyline came from this idea of what it means to collect things. He was a bill collector. And then we're collectors too. We collect all kinds of objects and oddities and things that we like. We have a really deep relationship with materials, of course, right? And so we were also just thinking about what it was to be a collector of objects and to love them and to have this relationship with them and then be forced to give them away, you know? And one thing about debt collecting is you're trying to collect money, which is a really interesting psychological thing to think about. Everybody has such a varied relationship with money and their things mm-hmm. that this idea that we would be able to work through those ideas. And it was the first time we had written a Henson grant for the Henson foundation. Well, we actually got a, we got a oh, grant beforehand. Right. That our, was our friends first started, grant. our friends started an art foundation and they needed, that was our first one. Yeah. They needed customers. And uh, so we wrote, a grant of the project we were like wow we could and getting your first grants the hardest you know and so she they we knew them and they gave us that initial grant they already liked our work because they had worked with us before they were part of the circus yeah but they also they also really wanted to see it happen but what what that allowed us to do was just have some time and some confidence and Mm -hmm. i mean we were building this thing in our backyard and it went through several evolutions but one of the first things that was really cool is we worked with a sound designer so we worked with Mm. margaret noble who we still collaborate with yeah we just worked with her last year actually has a sound sound design degree from chicago institute of the arts and who was also a dj and who's also just a really cool person artist Um, yeah she made us a soundtrack of found sounds we were using a bunch of found objects mm-hmm. to tell a puppet story about a collector who collects objects from other characters. And we, were, we became really inspired and kind of obsessed with this puppetry that you don't see very often. That's tabletop bunraku. Bunraku is the Japanese style where there's three puppeteers operating each puppet. And there's a sort of master and apprentice lineage where you move from one part of the puppet to the other and finally after 30 years you get to operate the head and it's very precious and organized and very sacred and we were like okay well we're going to take a more anarchic view of that and figure out how to operate these puppets with as few puppeteers as possible Mm -hmm. and so it became this kind of curiosity cabinet where we would reveal things. We, would, we wanted to do pop-up sets and then that became impractical, but each set was kind of like a pop-up. It was just a back wall and, and a floor. Sets would turn around and reveal themselves. We had a central toy theater and then we were doing extremely crude, but somewhat <laughs> successful because of Bridget's background in mixed media, stop motion animation in black and white and creating these subliminal advertisements around objects and achievement and having all the toys and reaching the top of the pile. And then this sort of torrent where like the dam breaks and everything is washed away. And so we're really interested in kind of these artistic ideas, ideas that we were seeing reflected through art around emotion, around trauma, like death of a salesman type things. So we're mm-hmm. growing from theater, from art, from sculpture That's and- true, yeah. We found this little, I think it's called Stief. It's a, they're German toys from like the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And we found this little monkey in a thrift store. It's this little, practically totally destroyed. And yet, because it was a Stief, 
they were still trying to sell it. Like, I think we paid like $15 for this we thing did. And, it was and all good. their stuff with like wood chips or straw yeah, it's kind of coming out the side of its neck. It had a really funny little mouth, but it had this crazy look in its mm -hmm. eye. And we're like, okay, that's it. So yes. Agonist. That like, became that's the evil character right nice. there. Well, he's not, not even evil, he's not even an evil character. He's kind of the id, you know, the part that lives inside that of us that just wants enough. and isn't satisfied, yeah, and, satisfied and all of that. And so then I started making contraptions for <laughs> he was like the overlord of ape industries, accrued yeah. property executives ah. enterprises. Uh, enterprises, yeah. Acute property enterprises. And so was he alive? live um performer on the yes in the set not it he yeah. wasn't part of the stop animation yeah. which was also happening yeah we did okay. both we had an oversized toy theater in the center set that was live toy theater so and the thing about toy theater is you the reason why we even did mm. an oversize is because you deal with really a large constraint of sight lines so toy theater okay. you could you know 20 to 25 people is a is a realistic group of people to watch toy theater but of course we wanted to be able to have more people see it. So we yeah. set up a little camera that you just use to like, I mean, record yourself, like one of those cheapy clip cameras. Yeah. We, it was actually really expensive we, at, the, at time. the time. We <laughs> live fed that, li that li action, the live action. So it was really funny because there was just a second, maybe a second and a half lag on it, which gave it this very surreal and people couldn't, I mean, it was, it just worked. It was just kind of luck of, bad technology and the color saturation on this camera was amazing so there was, was just something live... magic about it and everyone sort of loved that so the stuff in the toy theater was live fed and then we would also project stuff uh -huh. that was pre-recorded also okay stop motion so there was live projection of live feed stop motion and then live action animation too so we were we've always wanted to combine like you said different medias and different interests that we have and ways yeah. to you know present work so well and it also seems like you see work from different perspectives too because so often in theater or creative writing there's a story and sometimes that story if you're looking at it from a contemporary dance point of view or a poetry point of view or a visual arts point of view the images can come together to create the story that's something that i i love about your work too not just the way that you're working, but also the way you're presenting the work through time, right? When you're working with theater, you're working with time. And so how do you present that story or that idea to your audience in such a way that's exciting? I mean, I, lo I loved always talking with you, Alicia, about work because you're such a savvy artist in your own right and you see things in a multiplicity of ways also because you work in different materiality and in different times and in different contexts and with different genres we've never been linear storytellers we've always been visual storytellers mm -hmm. and that can be really challenging for some people and it has been you know we we really keep telling her but it's just what we do now we're middle-aged there's no like there's no going back this is what we do and that we, it's okay. Like we don't have to be linear about it though. It can be very upsetting for people still, even though there's right. nothing new about that at all. No, Right. It's not a <laughs> radical thing. It's not, you know, this is, but it's a really interesting thing to always kind of work with people's expectations. And I think yeah. the context of where you're performing also comes with all bunch of certain expectations, right? If you're in yeah. the theater or if you're in the gallery or if you're on the street, they all have come with very different expectations of people who are watching. 
can we talk about Paper Cities a little bit? Because that is what I know most of you, or at least that's where I got to know you guys, which was so fun because as I get to know you more through conversation, I'm understanding that nothing ever ends for you and nothing ever pops out of nowhere. It feels like there's an ongoing conversation and there's an maybe a question that comes out of a previous piece that moves forward into a new piece. And you had talked about paper cities coming from ideas that came out of the collector. How did that start? Yes, there's another precursor. So we worked with Liam on Liam Clancy. Uh, the myth project, mm -hmm. Liam Clancy. Big We've always kind of been, been in love with this. It's kind of a circus form where you have act after act or problem after problem to solve. And what I really like about it, it's chapters in a book, which we, you know, I studied literature along mm -hmm. with fine arts. I studied poetry and wrote poetry, graphic novels, everything. Like it has its, there's a thing and then there's an end to it and then another. So our way of constructing theater was to set ourselves a bunch of problems to solve. Like how this puppet wants me to operate it like this. It wants two more people. But what if we just lay on the floor and put the puppet on top of our body? Like, what does that tell the audience? Mm -hmm. And if I just put the puppet's hand on my face and that's all I can do because I'm laying on the floor and the puppet's not standing. We honestly spent probably like eight months meeting regularly with Liam. I mean, mm -hmm. we did two versions. Yeah, of we it. did. <laughs> we worked with Lisa Perger first for a creative catalyst. And yet the ideas were all the same. And Lisa is the one that directed the collector. So how I feel about Paper Cities is there's, two I versions. think, five, five different versions. It just kept going. Like you said, it just, <laughs> the, it was durational and yeah. it was quite responsive. The philosophy was that we could do this piece anywhere, anytime, any place. That was the idea. For anyone that it was just a response, you know, to what was happening. It was such an interesting process because we still have the show. We could pick the show up at any time and it would be a different show. We never repeated the same show twice. Mm -hmm. it, we didn't set it. So it was incredibly risky for us because sometimes it worked and it felt good and it went well. And then sometimes and in, it, it was the it most didn't. terrifying it thing ever we, it was like, to be inside. I'm it. not in this. I can't get present with it, but I know the audience isn't liking this. I can see them yawning, <sighs> falling asleep. Those were the best shows, actually. Those <laughs> were the ones the audience was like, that was phenomenal. <laughs> like, I hated every minute of it. <laughs> I almost wanted to like just walk out of the theater. But it was a wonderful process in just actually really learning about the different contexts and what the implications are being in different spaces and dealing with people's expectations and performing anyway mm -hmm. and really being in relationship with each other in a different way of responding because when you don't set the work anything can happen that means I could be feeling antsy that night and he's taking his time on the floor and the puppet's hands touching his cheek I'm like oh my god make something happen I'm like throw the dog at him or the coyote at him or something like barking at him I'm like do something it was a really dynamic piece for us and process. It was process-oriented work. And we're always process-oriented, too. It's, yeah. it's always good to push your relationship right to the limit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. We had some knockdown drag-out fights and, after and, the show. And then, and then find a way to, to meet again on stage through this thing. Because by the end, yeah. you know, Liam had us, well, we took our, all of our clothes off on stage. Yeah, Liam and, was always And we're like, we're not going to do that right from the beginning. Of course, there was by one the show. End, 
No, there were several was there shows. More than one? I yeah, have met right. people who were like, hey, yeah, I saw you yeah. naked on stage in the show. <laughs> yeah, I think I was one of those people. Yeah. But I was going to say that there was this one, this precursor. So Bridget and I did Myth Project, one of the first performances that we did together. And then we did our whole circus sideshow. Well, th that was kind of concurrent. And then we asked Liam if he would direct a circus show with Zirku Boo, the uh, circus cabaret yeah. sideshow. Yeah. We had never had a director. And we had never allowed anyone to come into that. They were group directed. That okay. very kind yeah. of family environment and pose any challenges to the group. That's kind of when this work started. Because we did a show. We mm -hmm. did four nights at sushi. It was completely sold out and they were like telling our friends they couldn't come in. And before that, every show had been like, whatever, everyone gets in, you don't have money. Because we were really anarchic it. in that way. We had our own warehouse space in the barrio that we had for a long time. At that time, you you know, before the ghost ship fires happened and the warehouse burned in Oakland, oh, that okay. you could do more of that in San Diego, which you can't do so much of that. Oh, okay. But at the well, time we could. And so we did, we had a 7,000 square foot warehouse and we did what we wanted when we wanted. And we were, you know, we were in kind of underground and we got to do what we wanted. So this was also, yeah, we were being pushed into certain constraints. Yeah, it was really interesting. And after that show, the circus broke up. That was it. That okay. was the last show we ever did together with Zirka Boo. I, that was Your it. most successful show and then boom. Yeah, and it, <laughs> the, the whole thing kind of imploded after that. But so it, had, it was interesting. I think everyone learned so much from it. Yeah. I mean everyone went off and did their own thing after that. Right. That's always, That's there's always an emotional component to that. And yet it's a catharsis that leads to full reevaluation of what you're doing. I mean, yeah. after that, a person who'd been giving a lot of energy to that as their uh, creative outlet ended up going on the street and like s establishing a career and making tons of money, you know, like every. Yeah. Everybody took the energy of that kind of explosion of the group and did something, did something with, with it. it. It's true. And, yeah. And, and that's when we, did we do the collector after that or did? We did the collector after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And the next thing we did was the collector. Which we had to figure out how to make it so that we could set it up in half an hour because we took it to five different oh, fringe right. festivals. We did French circuits with it. And okay. We would roll up in a van. And you have a half hour. And we would set it up on the sidewalk outside the theater so it was more than a half hour setup and we had to make sure it would fit through the doorways and then we would push it on stage and then plug everything so in roll the table all the tables you. were on wheels and we'd roll in have 30 minutes to get it ready from that point perform it and then roll it back out on the street and break it down because we only again you have 30 minutes because most wow. theater most fringe the, shows are French, right? pretty, right. the fringe shows are pretty stripped down and we yeah. had this like ridiculous tech ridiculous with, like, 15 puppets, puppets and projectors, live feed. It was, yeah, it was great fun. And you weren't going to strip down the show. No, no. that was going. <laughs> no, no, we just built it and broke it down on the street instead. That's so cool. And we wanted, we wanted Paper City <laughs> right. to be an easier version. And we wanted to take that, the whole stage. That would, and yeah, and that would Move play to whoever. So literally from the beginning, Paper Cities was three ladders, three, the biggest, canvas drop cloths you can buy at Home Depot. Some saws. Three characters and wooden remnants, an axe, a saw, because it, for me, a lot of it's about my uh, Scottish heritage and the fact that my ancestors came from Scotland to cut down the forests of Canada. I was going to ask you, there's so many repeated images in mm -hmm. that piece, things that come back. 
I think about what you were just talking about being collectors and, and being in process too, because you are in process on stage, but I can see as an audience member that this piece has been in process because there is such a collection of ideas, the books, the papers, the saws, the ladders, the way you use the ladders, the way you use the books, the way you use the cardboard and the cities and the suitcases, it feels really full. Yeah, I mean, you just said, you know, the ladder and the, and the saws and where that started, did it keep growing from there? Yeah, yeah. we worked on it for six years, six on years. and off for six years. And we were performing it within the first year. So, so yeah, we performed it, went, it every single year that we worked on it. And every time we did, it times. was different. Like you said, creativity doesn't come from our own guts. I mean, it comes from everything else, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully it doesn't point back to us, but it points to ideas that we're considering and researching right. and studying. I mean, there's been far greater artists and thinkers in that sense. So, so we draw from those people around us and then put it through our own filter and our own concerns for life as wanting to be helpful humans on a planet that is in all kinds of strife. Our hope is to bring ultimately some love and joy and options for being generative at this time. Yeah, I mean, I remember crying at one of the, or more than one of the Paper Cities pieces because there is so much love. And I've said this before about you guys, but the way that you have cared for the creation of these puppets and the way that you care for the way that you move these puppets. I mean, I think there was a mother and a son and I'm just reading that onto them too, right? Like that's yeah. part of my own reading. Mm -hmm. But I felt that emotion. I was crying because I became so attached to these puppets that I could you know, see Bridget right there holding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just so amazing about that art form and what you guys do. Yeah, I think- Thank to care you. right now is pretty important to care about yeah. all living things around us, whether it's human or object, minerals, insect. All of this is going into the transmythical project that we're about to produce for the La Jolla Playhouse Without Walls. Yeah. Well, in April, all of those concerns are, it looks very different. I really think we make the same work again and again and again and again and again. Hopefully we get a little bit more sophisticated along the way of how that looks and how we present it. But the concerns and the philosophy of creativity in that has always continued. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, we like unsophisticated work. We like something like the high that, and the low. that's guileless and that reads just as well to children. I remember our, our intention to make when we made The Collector was to make something that we could play like art houses with and that would be this sort of mm -hmm. dark and slightly macabre show Dystopic. that was for puppetry for adults and <laughs> i remember two of my favorite audience members were these two like four-year-old boys when we played the santa barbara um, museum of contemporary arts art forum they set us up in this gigantic yeah, hall with white yeah. walls it was really weird we'd never played anything like that and we brought our friend arita mckelvey to do lighting and we everything was lit off this giant t-bar she put the lights together and ran them the lighting was really beautiful, but people could come in and out. There were dogs in the audience and these yeah. two four-year-olds sat in the front wrapped. They loved watched it. the whole thing. You're day. like, yay. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 Intentions, but you know, it, 
if, 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 if that's the response, then I'm doing something right because I, you know, we're fascinated by the act of creation, making something new and the newness of what we are presenting in that moment was always the intention with Paper Cities. Let's go on stage and we're somehow going to impart our feelings through actions and story. And presence, being present with yeah, people in the audience. Yeah, and that was palpable. That was palpable. And also, you know, as you're talking about doing things over, how you're saying that you're doing the same piece over and over again, it just feels like if that's the case, it's filling up, you know, it's filling up from the inside because you guys are putting your attention there and you're putting your attention there and you're putting your attention there. And so it becomes just like a, a collection becomes fuller, you know, it just becomes fuller and more stable and more interesting I don't know, more trustworthy, like there's so much trust there because there's so much trust on your side as performers and makers. So that's really a great thing to, to have over the amount of time that you guys have been working. I have two more things that I wanted to ask you guys about. I want to talk again about the Society of Wonder a bit, because I think what's exciting a little bit about this podcast is that even though people may or may not be able to go and see your work live. This is a way that I can put at the bottom of the show notes, a place where people can actually see your work. And that's been a really interesting thing to be able to have this conversation and hear what you're talking about, but then to see what that looks like in action. And I also want to talk about the trans mythical procession. Yes. Yes because I know that's coming up for anybody in San Diego. Society of Wonder was kind of an accident. It came out of a piece <laughs> that we'd been working on for a long time with friends who were in LA and ended up moving to the UK. And so it's, it's a, um, a splinter out of the original lumber that that piece was created with. Okay. And that piece was like a five-year delving into the idea of doing what we do in full collaboration with another couple. Another theater company. Couple. Theater company mm -hmm. who have a really different way of working and to see if we could merge our styles. So we were bringing puppetry and they were bringing a more, theater, a, a the more European yeah. and a more of a like rigorous theater training and study and all yeah. of that kind of thing. And we shared all these ideas. So there were a couple of live shows that came out of that that no one in the U.S. was able to see. We did them in the U.S. We, 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 we ended up doing that, producing that there with them in the U.K., workshops of that. And then that became untenable, especially with COVID and the difference in time and space and being able to gather. And again, this was a project that the Henson's, the Jim Henson Foundation graciously funded, gave us partial funding for. So we needed to keep producing and making this happen. So we, okay. it, it was a pandemic project. I mean, it, it morphed into a pandemic project at that moment. It's still in the works for us to do a live performance yeah. too. So it's it's, so not, it's over, not done yet, but, okay. but it was a way yeah. for us to just like hone in on what it is we like about creating something and give ourselves a deadline and be like, we have to finish this now and be done with it for now. Well, we had a deadline with the Playhouse. So the Playhouse reached out and said, hey, we're commissioning some projects during, we want to support local artists that we've worked with. And you know, the, the Playhouse is amazing that way. They really yeah. are an amazing grassroots feel organization that support their creative community in San Diego. 
I'm very grateful to have them. Of course, it was the pandemic. We couldn't do anything. We lost all our work, right? Because we tour during the summer times for Olivia and stuff. All of that just was, you know, we couldn't perform or do anything. Yeah. So yeah. it was such a gift to have a project to work on during the isolation times. So we went kind of not back to the collector, but it is a little bit more collectory than Paper Cities or the other projects that we've done post that. Um, Cause they were, they weren't pop-up style sets, but they were built in a very similar, so they were small sets. We removed, we filled everything off of Ian's iPhone seven. We just hunkered down in our studio. We built the sets, buffed up the puppets and like just started shooting and writing and doing and just working. And uh, it was great because we loved film and we haven't really had a deep dive into film. I mean, we, there was some live projections in paper cities and we did some stop motion definitely in that. But this was a way deeper dive into filming puppets. Oh, it's sorry. in series, right? It's in a, a series yeah. of six, six and, parts. Yeah, it's a serial. Like Five minute parts. episodes. And I had one, I've always loved serials and uh, radio plays and things like that. And I was like, okay, well, how do we adjust what we do to that medium? You know, we are not going to tell a story with a bunch of voice actors. No. We have to figure out. They're giving us an opportunity. Now everyone is looking at their screens. Right. Can we tell this mysterious, but hopefully enlightening or uh, confusing story about self-emancipation, <laughs> about looking in a different direction during this time where everyone is feeling very lost and alone. Yeah, and um, a magical world in your backyard of where, where do you find the magic and the hope and the reason to go on when you're forced to just look in? I mean, we were all forced to just be at home and kind of look at our navels and wonder what who we are and what we are doing. It was such yeah. a miraculous thing, you know, not to say that it's completely over, but it feels very, very different than two years ago. It does. It does. It feels a lot different. And I watched that series a few months ago when we were first talking and I just remember feeling captivated. Number one, I was watching your work from my phone, which was really cool and different and not my norm at all. So I'm just sitting here with this screen still that same connection with these characters. You guys are so great at character building with these so different characters in this piece by like the third one or something. I was like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? How are they going to find the, was, it was chickens, right? How are they going to find yeah. the chickens? <laughs> it was really fun yeah, and, and rewarding at the end. Good. I'm this, yeah. They're the most cartoony characters we've ever created. But they also, you know, the detail involved in them and, and we wanted to create this little world. realistic world that they lived in within our small-ish studio. studio. And also, again, we couldn't go out and buy stuff. So we were just using what we had around. We I mean, literally everything in that show is recycled. Everything. That is so cool. And so, that's... Except the drone, which our... Our, well, our neighbor. Oh, right. We did have a real drone. Yeah. Though. Our neighbor happened to have delved into having a drone yeah. company. And so we were like, okay, wait, can you fly, can that, you drone fly that drone inside the shop? Because we he wanted had... drone footage. We're like, that'd be so cool. There's drone footage. And we're like, this is perfect. It worked. Right yeah. And he flew it in here. We got that. We wanted that perspective of that survey. You know, we always do also surveillance has always been a big theme for us especially in the collector, it was super, it's always prevalent for us uh -huh. of the idea of, you know, what is privacy and what does it mean to 
be constantly tracked on our phones and what are the implications of just that, you know, yeah. and all of its kind of reach. And so we wanted, of course, the surveillance of the drone footage became, we really wanted to have a perspective from the drone perspective. Yeah. So we kind of got to do everything we wouldn't do on stage yeah. with a puppet. Film's great like that. So, I mean, puppets are already magic and they're part of their mm -hmm. magic is that they can do impossible things. It's wonderful. And, and we all collectively agree, hopefully within the show that a puppet is, is just a puppet, but then it becomes everything and it's still nothing at the same time. And in film, you can even do that times 10. You can even amp it up because you're just have this tiny little screen, right. this box fit in that the cuts, the constraints of that are right. very particular too. So that and you was, get to choose that you get to choose exactly where that focus film is. is bossy. You really film is really yeah. bossy because you're pushing around the eye. Yeah. You know, whereas in live yeah. performance, you don't get to control that as much people are right. going to look you know you can't but in right. film it is very like you know yeah they're looking at the exit light over the door when you're like final moment on <laughs> get me out of here in the film you're like oh what's going on in there what's yeah and they can press pause and i mean it's just so yeah it's a whole different medium in that way so it's so exciting and fun and we want to do we will we will continue to do more of that too yeah at I'm some point I mean, right the now. original idea for that show was that it was an immersive oh, yeah. dystopic noir thriller that you could go from place to place, place, to place. And, and see a scene. But that's but have to like, we would love to do that. We're going to figure that out. Yeah, we're going to do that shortly. That's after Transmit. I do want to know about the Transmit project, how we can see it. Can we see it as as audience members? Yes. Is that yes. yes. a public event? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of the only thing you'll be able to see. It's live. It's going to be at Liberty Station, Liberty Station the weekend of April 23rd and 24th, yeah. two shows each day. It's outdoors, it's public, it's free. Anyone can come and participate. There's going to be a puppet making booth where can you can make one of the characters from the show. The show itself is Amazing. going to manipulate be, it with us and be in the procession. You can join the procession in a join sense. It. So you too are part of the procession if you choose to be. We're still that working. Sounds out. so fun. Yeah. Sorry. Giants, giant puppets, stilts, magical creatures, music, music, voice. We're still working out some ritual. ideas, but it's a kind of medieval pageant style yeah carnival-esque moving through space and creating like a feast for the eyes and hopefully the heart yeah and to move through a ritual of you know kind of inspired from star hawk's basis of ritual which is death grief transformation and joy to rebirth so we're going to be going kind of through those together with our community and fellow performers so and how has this process been for you guys? So now we've gone from working super tiny in our studio alone uh -huh, to working uh -huh. with 15 people. And so- We're not even working with them yet. And then right it's now just it's just daunting. logistics. So, and building and design. And right now it's been basically just dreaming it up and putting the puppets together and getting the materials together and costuming went to LA and went to the LA Fabric District. and did the big buy and researched all of that and have the fabrics and the foam and the patterns and the spray paints and the glues and the trike. It's slowly coming together. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come okay. in my calendar. Yeah. <laughs>
That's so exciting. Yeah, you so bring your daughter. This is for everyone. It's, it's absolutely for everyone. It's it will be it will be, be beautiful for sure. That's my yes. goal. Awesome. So I mean the other the other thing that we're doing, which is still our artistic output, although it's just something we've been doing for so long, we we don't look at it the same way. It's it's less precious because we've now done this performance for like seven years, but it's called Animals Crossing. We still walk <laughs> as these circus animals and uh we'll be at the Delmar Fair for the entire oh, run. Yeah. In, oh wow. In <laughs> June. That's the only time we've ever really done it in San Diego. So Yeah, that's true. We usually tour everywhere but here to do that. That's our summer tour. We pack it up in the van and the sprinter and we drive from small town to small town and we perform at city and county fairs and some music festivals like Lightning in a Bottle and things like that we'll do stuff at. Yeah, and it just so happens that at the Del Mar Fair this year, we will be there every day stilt walking in our animal circus characters. Yeah. Wow. How many days is the fair? 21 days. It's 24 days. I'm like June 5th to July 4th because they're closed on like Mondays and Tuesdays. Yeah. So that's a funny turn of events. Yeah, so. it's a funny, awesome thing. Yeah, where, local. We're like, oh, we're going to be local. Because cool. normally we never get to see any of our friends, but we're yeah, hoping we're living out of hotels. That we're going to recognize a lot more people in the audience. And so, be like, hey. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. <laughs> so if you want to come see us all made up uh, doing our thing there. Oh, yeah. Cool. I will put that in my calendar, too. It's yeah. different. It's different, but it's been the mainstay all along. And it's allowed us to continue to create and yeah. have time to yeah, develop more ideas. So mm -hmm. they're our fundament. Well, yeah. it's amazing. You can work as artists and make money in different ways. You're still in your, in your element. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So that's really cool. And I guess the last thing it's possible, we're hoping that it's going to happen Soon, Bridget's going to be teaching possibly mixed media and oil painting at the ICA. Yes, I hopefully will be teaching with them soon. And then I have a solo show in November through the city of Encinitas, a solo visual art show. Awesome. Okay. Congratulations. That's what we're doing. You guys are busy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Keeping ourselves amused. Well, thank you guys so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. How great are these two? You have to go see Transmythical if you're here in San Diego. Let me tell you my takeaways. Number one, stay open to ways in which you can include all of your artistic interests in the way you work. No need to separate your interests. Integration is key. Number two, find ways to fund your artistic projects. Search for and write grants or have a facet of your artistic work that can bring in money, such as Ballet's Nutcracker, or Bridget and Ian's stilt walking performers. It's not always easy, but giving some of your focus to this side of your art form can allow your work to be sustainable. Number three, the breakup of a group doesn't necessarily mean an end, just an impetus for each individual to continue that momentum in different ways. Number four, audiences' expectations can be complicated, but as an artist, you must deal with these expectations, whatever they are and perform your work anyways. Number five, if you get the opportunity to tour your performance work, think about your set. Either create a plan for the setup or create a set from the get-go that can easily move and travel with you. Number six, creativity doesn't have to come from our own guts. It comes from everything else. So hopefully the work doesn't point back at us, but instead points to the ideas we are working with. Number seven, to care right now 
is pretty important to care about all living things around us, whether they're human or object or minerals or insects. Number eight, honor the unsophisticated work, the high art, the low art. Is there even such a thing? If the work affects the audience in a profound way, then an artist has done their job. Number nine, as you put your attention on the same idea over and over, the work starts to fill up from the inside and the work becomes fuller, stable, and trustworthy. Number 10, allow your work and ideas to evolve as opportunities come up. For example, how can you adjust the work you are already doing to fit into another medium, such as stage to screen, without letting go of who you are as a maker? Thank you to Ian Gunn and Bridget Roundtree for sharing their joy and thoughtfulness as makers of such multidisciplinary work. Go follow them on Instagram at Animal Cracker Conspiracy and check out their website, animalcrackerconspiracy.com, where you can watch all of the episodes of Society of Wonder. And make your plans to visit Transmythical this weekend by visiting lahoyaplayhouse.org forward slash wow festival 2022. I will include that in the direct link in the show notes. And thank you all for listening. This is such a pleasure for me to do, and I'm thrilled that so many of you are enjoying this podcast as well. I will see you in two weeks. In the meantime, go see performance and get creative yourself. Have a great week. Bye.